Hi, Brian, and welcome to uh, to uh, episode two of the uh, Shades <laughs> of Green podcast. Um, I am Brian Williams, the uh, you know um, sidekick to uh, the lovely and talented uh, Miss Juanita Garcia. Um, I am I uh, work as the senior director for the Rebuilding Exchange in my day job. I also um, you know serve serve in a number of different environmental organizations, but. Um, before I do any of those other organizations, I'm also an environmentalist of color, which is why this uh, Shades of Green podcast talking about like you know people in the people of color in the environmental field is so important um, to myself and Juanita. But tell tell us a little bit about yourself. So um yeah I guess uh, um um yeah where to start where to <laughs> what to say um so yeah I identify as an environmentalist of color. And um, it's a it's a big part of my identity, you know. Um, I'm a person of color, um, and an environmentalist, and I think that um, it's part of my lifestyle. You know, the work I do and and the life I lead, other than occasionally driving more than I should. <laughs> well, you know, that's not your fault. This society's fault. You know, like the, the way that the way the country's set up, the way the city's set up. You are, you kind of have to drive at times. So we um. Yeah, I mentioned the Environmentalist of Color as a network, um, and this is podcast is kind of uh, the goal was that it would be kind of a companion piece to um, the Environmentalist of Color po- uh, uh, network, um, <clears throat> and we're working diligently to start scheduling um, face-to-face interviews with uh, members of the Environmentalist of Color network um, for down future podcast episodes. But you know, we figure we would be good to kind of. Uh, introduce ourselves and develop a foothold with the uh, potential um, listenership before we start bringing other people in and confusing you with all the different voices <laughs> and such. But recently, um, Juanita and I were involved in uh, a, a diversity summit that was hosted by the Environmentalist of Color Network as well as um, Foresight Design. It was um, um, at the Center for, excuse me, the um, Chicago Community Trust at their office a couple weeks ago and had um, just the full dias- the full array of <coughs> environmental organizations were represented from the philanthropic grant f- grant making op- organizations to um, think tanks like the should I, you know you think it's okay if I name names oh, yeah, were in yeah, attend- attendance I'm not naming the specific person that was in de- attending but you know organizations um, like the Delta Institute and Alliance for the Great Lakes, Faith and Place had an awesome presence. Um, uh, who am I missing? Big Blacks and Green. Um, El Viejo was there. And um, Elevate Energy, the Southeast Environmental Task Force, um, and everyone in between. You know, everyone in between was represented in some way, shape, or form. Which was, you know, it was a the Sierra Club was there. Um, Open Lands, two of my favorite organizations. <laughs> More on that on the later date. Um, they were well represented, and so because of this uh, summit, we've decided to entitle this episode "Reflecting <laughs> on Diversity and What That Really Means." Um, th- there was a comment that was made, I think, during the course of the um, during the course of the summit, where we what we tried to do at the summit was bring different environmental organizations together, or different organizations operating in the environmental field in some way, shape, or form together to look at their staff and um, their membership and their board members and what are the barriers, why 
why is there a paucity of people of color in, involved in those organizations? What are the barriers and what are they doing to improve it? And um, one of the, um, I believe, Juanita's favorite quote that was <laughs> that was uh, stated at the event was that, oh, I uh, reflect on diversity daily. So there's a... Oh, I, 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 to qualify that, she didn't say daily, but regularly. Okay. Um, in all fairness, you know, um, you know, she she did say she reflected on on diversity regularly, and um, you know, the, the thing is, we can reflect on a lot of things, mm-hmm. but their reflecting doesn't necessarily correlate to action, and there you reach a point where after reflecting on it. You need to act on it, and if you're not actively thinking about how you make that leap from reflecting on it to develop a plan of action, then you're not acting on it. Yeah, you're still kind of part of the problem. (laughs) For instance, (coughs) I reflect on dieting regularly. (laughs) With that being said, I'm still a very fat man, so (laughs) it's like, I I reflect on it, am I acting on it? No. No. Yeah, I reflect on exercising regularly. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) sorry. So so it's one thing to to ruminate and reflect on diversity, but how are you actually acting on it? And that's the the question that we really wanted to to ask and discuss. You know, I can look at um, a lot of environmental organizations, and I feel like this is the time where I'll name names. I look at um, Faith in Place, you know, Mm -hmm. um, regardless of your um, religious beliefs or lack thereof or what had or whatever you know you look at this organization and they're doing it they're getting it right they're hiring people of color to operate in areas where people of color live they're you know that their um their outreach team matches the population that they're serving that they're serving and that's really the way that you perform outreach and when you do it in that manner it goes from outreach to engagement mm-hmm. you're actively working with that community and you have someone reaching out to that community and re- and bringing ideas and thoughts from that community back to the organization they're doing it in a much more genuine authentic manner because they can re- relate to what's going on there um, that's acting on diversity um, when you reflect on diversity, you wind up having a fairly large environmental organization where you hire, you know, um, a diversity coordinator that isn't the most diverse of staff. I'm not going to name names, but we can all figure out what organizations I'm talking about. So, you know, um, how do you go about improving? So really the problem with diversity in the environmental field is like we've spent a lot of time talking about it. And how do we move forward? You know, even with um, the, the environmentalists of color, EOC, remember um, Juanita about, it's probably about a year, a year and a half ago at this point, that um, Dr. Decida Taylor came mm-hmm. to the Chicago area. She was invited here by um, the NRDC, um, paid to be here by the NRDC as a consultant. I love the fact that she states clearly look, I'm an expert. I don't go anywhere just for free. Like, you have to pay me for this information that I have, which is great. I have absolutely respect it. Um, you know, but when she came here, there was a summit on environment. You know, like she did the presentation on her Green 2.0 study, and then um, where have we gone since then? 
where has the NRDC that hired her to come here, what have they done since then to um, to act on diversity in, within the environmental field? I don't really know. You know, um, do you, have you heard anything? Have you learned anything? Have you seen anything with them? No, but I haven't actively sought out information on what they specifically are doing. Um, you know, that the thing is, um, you know, we can have the best of intentions <laughs> to do that. But then again, it yeah. goes back to how do you develop a plan of action to make it happen? Right. Yeah. Right. So do you, what do you think it would be? I mean, to you, um, you've worked in in this field for quite a while and you know much like every most other environmentalists in this field um what do you think you know um what do you think is missing that missing piece to go from reflection to action um you know i think um i think first off um i think there needs to be more awareness and eagerness among people of color Mm -hmm. to to work in those fields Mm -hmm. i think that there's definitely a lack of of people interested Uh, there's obviously a disconnect and i think that um a lot of those environmental organizations um and a lot of a lot of those sort of green careers green economy jobs Mm -hmm. aren't necessarily um you know, paths or perceived as paths mm-hmm. in among people of color. I think that that it's a little bit of awareness and mm-hmm. and to see that there are people of color actively seeking out those roles and mm-hmm. and seeing their roles in making that happen. Um, I know from my own experience, it's more like on the built environment side and, mm-hmm. and building side. There's just a lack of of people of color in engineering, or historically have been, right. um, as as well as women. I think that's changing though. At the, at, in universities, you see that there's a lot more diversity there. But you know, that's a, another really interesting thing too. When you look at the, the, um, you know, at the undergraduate levels, obtaining those degrees, you have more women, mm-hmm. but you also have a lot more of an international population, mm-hmm. um, that is seeking out those engineering degrees Mm -hmm. and that's great to have that sense of diversity but i think at the same time we we're not necessarily doing a great job of reaching out to people of color that are um natives you know of 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 um or now natives of you know that are now in you know people of color that are citizens and have been in the u.s um for a while and are people of color yeah um, I, I that's one thing I kind of see over and over again, and I think that there's a lot of just a lack of an awareness, and I think um, I see that with um, with my work, specifically working with middle school students and high school students. Mm-hmm. There's a lack of awareness of yeah. those green economy jobs, right. jobs right. that you know they're not they're not well known, and I mean there's only we we're limited to our own experience, right, yeah. and. And you don't know a job exists if you don't know anyone that has it. You know, and and we're all kind of limited to that. And I think it's self perpetuating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's there's a real value in in you know the work that's done to make children um, 
in in of different communities of diverse communities aware yeah. of you know the role that they can play in that and the the applications for their talents and their interests um yeah, no, that's fascinating. I mean, I agree with you entirely, and I also think of you know like the, our first episode where we um uh, we discussed um, very tangentially, uh, for instance, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we discussed um, the industrial hygiene field, mm-hmm. which is you know asbestos <coughs> abatement, lead abatement, things <coughs> of that nature, where you have um you know where the um, the uh, Law, the regulations essentially outlaw, um, uh, outlawing, outlawing um, asbestos and um, lead to be used in building materials. It went into effect around eight seventy eight. The ban was full, was fully instituted around eighty one. Um, so you know, like that's in my lifetime. Probably yeah. not yours because you were young. Yeah. That that occurred in my lifetime. Yeah. And sure enough, you know, like my very first job. My very first job in the environmental field was as an industrial hygienist. You know, so that that's a job that's come up in my lifetime. Lead mm-hmm. professionals. There's quite a few lead professionals nowadays, but you know, like that's a certification that's come up within the last 15 years. Um, and you know, there's still so many more mm-hmm. uh, jobs like that that are coming up within this industry or within this field. Yeah. And so you know, we don't have access to the you know, the people of color oftentimes live in these underserved communities, so we don't have access to the best schools. We don't have access to this wide array of, uh, of potential job opportunities. So you don't, we don't see a lot of those opportunities. We don't know that they exist. And, um, and you know, with that being said, so I think I look at, you know, um, what can we do? Excuse me, what can we do to address that? And I look at um, organizations like the Chicago Botanic Gardens, mm-hmm. College First, the College First Science First, program there and project exploration and you know we um you know uh likes about um uh tony anderson and the amazing work that she's doing with the sacred keeper sustainability lab and um also you know like um so it always comes to the discussion of the pipeline versus pathway you know so we're priming that pipeline but how do we build that pathway how do we get these students across what can we do to get them to go from you know, um, just, you know, awareness that these jobs exist to actually getting them into these jobs. But then also, are we dealing with, um, are we making sure that the offerings to these students are fully di- are very diverse as well, you know? Like, I look at, um, I'm an environmental engineer, you know? No yeah. matter what anybody says, I'm actually an engineer, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, you know but with that being said, please divert as many building materials from the waste stream as possible. Send them to the rebuilding exchange. <laughs> I need that. <laughs> so, um, so with that being said, I mean, my my focus is is on who's that next environmental engineer that's going to come up and replace me at some point in time. Yeah. How are we reaching those young men and young women? But really, in the environmental field, the 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 push is to create more stewardships, more um, more, uh, more stewards and more conservationists. And those are actually fewer jobs. There's fewer jobs there than there is in the environmental engineering field yeah. as well as lower paying jobs. And that's where I feel like we're being pushed oftentimes. Um, you yeah. know, so um, we're more being pushed towards the labor. This podcast is taking a little bit there. 
very depressing turn. <laughs> However, there is hope for the future. You know, yeah. like there's. I look at um, you know, like the work that um, little uh, is being done in the little in in little village as they um, take steps to um, make little village uh, a zero waste community. Looking at the circular economy and um, and trying to have that as the basis of that community going forward. You know, because it's a it's an EJ neighborhood, so there's tons of waste and there's um like you know like all the urban issues associated with living in the inner city um they're uh, uh, uh they're um trapped to the south by 55 and to the by interstate 55 and to the north by um interstate 290 um so how do they you know like they're landlocked to a certain extent so um they only have so much space so how do they best use those resources that are that um that they have access to they don't have a lot mm-hmm. of space they they're landlocked to a certain extent so they're working towards um getting access to additional resources from what they have within and i think that's pretty that's pretty exciting and you know um, it's an amazing team there too you know? yeah yeah i think uh, i think that's just a it's part of a a larger trend too of um you know looking more locally and looking towards community, much more community-focused yeah. solutions to a lot of things, um, you know, and, and thinking, thinking really locally, economically, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and. Um, but isn't that like you know? So, isn't that like disabling to a certain extent? Though? <laughs> yes. I, I wasn't going to bring it up in this episode, <laughs> but I mean, it really is if you think about it. I mean, yeah. you know, like the circular economy is just reusing resources until they're completely depleted you know like this thing broke let's repair it or let's try and use it as something else right now that it's we've used it as something else let's you know let's recycle it to push it back into the economy elsewhere but like we're trying to keep our resources locally that's pretty much what we did during the great depression right you know right yeah i mean you know the thing is uh we had this move to having this very global economy where things got moved around and resources got moved around yeah. and processed and yeah. and you know we need to think smarter about yeah. you know waste and the finite resources that we do have um you know and, and just reduce a lot of waste that we have i think still i think it's just you know like you said earlier like these the cultural changes you know, and, and the thing is, um, like you said, I mean, there's still, there is in communities of color, there has been this sense of resilience and mm-hmm. the sense of reuse out of necessity. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, thinking and consuming resources a little smarter. And I think there's a shift to that to think about you know, the long-term use of those materials. Right. You right. Know? So, um, so I've looked at, you know, I used to work for Cook County's Department of Environmental Control, and we looked at waste generation. I hate the term waste. We looked yeah. at um, materials usage throughout the, uh, throughout the county. And what we found was that although the um, northern suburbs, which are by and large the more um, well-to-do sub- suburbs um, for, uh, 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 financially, um, especially all the way up along the North Shore, they had the highest recycling rates. However, their um, rates of waste generation were almost double the western southern suburbs. Um, 
<clears throat> so they had access to more things, so they consumed more things, but they recycled them. Um, you know, they recycled more tons, but they were using far more than any other um, portion of the of the city. So you know, we really need to get back to reducing what we're using, um, the amount of things that we're using. Um, another damning thing that I heard. So you know. Um, I'm going to shift over towards politics ever so slightly. With, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. That fascist maniac, um, Donald Trump, saying that he wants to build a wall between the states and uh, Mexico. I read um, recently that the amount of waste that was generated in the United States in 2014 was, a, was enough to build a wall, a 20-foot-tall wall, around the entirety of the country. Wow. So it would be blocking out... Uh, like more important than Mexico to me is blocking out those Canadians. Got to get a Canadian dig in there. <laughs> but um, you know, like one thing that's really uh, you know this is being recorded with the uh, during the um, presidential primaries, um, and what's really frightening to me is that there's not a um, candidate. That, um, it's really not a candidate that's speaking heavily about the environment. No, you know, that's very true. You know, Bernie Sanders has played, has offered some lip service towards the environment, um, which is, you know, I, you know, I'm feeling the burn regardless. I'll just, you know, be honest and open about that. But what's really odd and surprising is that um, John, is it John Kasich? How do you pronounce that? Uh, Kasich. Kasich from uh, from Ohio. The the person he's actually talking about the need to fight climate change. Yeah, um, and he's the only one, you know. And he's um, not a front runner. Exactly, not even close. But you know, it's um very very damning that the environmental you know environmental pursuits have not been spoken of, spoken of or very given given much um, opportunity, especially considering the opportunities for. Job, the job opportunities, job yeah. growth opportunities. You know, like we used to build things here in the United States, and we can get back to building things if we switch from, you know, like focusing on clean energy generation. You know, start man- manufacturing solar panels on, in a big bad way, and you know, um, uh, hybrid electric, like hybrid engines, and you know, um, uh, the biodiesel, uh, bio uh, engines that run on bi- biodiesel, and this, that, and the other. Like let's. Bioremediation, you know, we have tons of impacted soil and groundwater. Why don't we use, you know, like it's it's very basic. If you look at wetlands, they yeah. clean themselves. They're nature's own, you know, filtration system. Let's use that process to clean up some of these soil and ground soil and groundwater issues that we have. You know, just throwing that out there. You know, there's an idea. What do I know? <laughs> well, you know, it's just it's so easy. I, th- I think there are just so many like just cultural, cultural consumption um you know um these trends these these this lifestyles we have these cultural shifts that really need to happen for us to rethink i mean look at look at our uh plastic bag ban here in the city and in grocery stores so instead we're we're using these mylar bags that are four to five times as thick yeah not necessarily reusing them anymore. Exactly, and it—I mean, it was—it was a great of intentions to get us yeah. to get away from those plastic bags, yeah. but it's not translating into people yeah. using reusing reusable bags and reusing them. Um, yeah. 
you know, it just, how do you make that shift happen? And, you know, some stores have had the, you know, the incentive of getting, a, you know, a dime or nickel off for bringing your own bag, but mm-hmm. that's clearly not an incentive for everyone right. enough. Um, but, you know, how do you, how do you make that shift yeah. of, yeah. of, you know, we, we keep consuming things, we keep buying things and those, those bags that are reusable are getting filled with plastic bottles and they're getting filled with with um with these all this material packaging that i mean how much of that is getting recycled and is it to the right quality you know when it's when it is getting recycled like what does that really look like and then the thing is like we don't really see it i mean we think well we'll put it in a recycling bin and we never see it again and it's out of our hands and we feel good about just throwing it in a recycling bin but we could be doing things to reduce that packaging to begin with actually you actually can't put those recycling bag those recycle the um reusable bags in the recycling yeah, bin. Yeah, exactly. Like, they make you throw them in the regular trash. So, like, I've gotten dinged several times by putting, you know, like, torn bags, like, with a hole in it into my recycling bin. You know, I've gotten the smiley, the um, frowny face on my on my blue bin, like, no, you can't put this here. <laughs> then the next time it happened, there was actually a, they had actually written on my bag, <coughs> no bags with an exclamation point. So now, you know, I, uh, my recycling bin is completely full of loose, of recyclables but the bags are like the if you know if I have torn bags they're they have their own separate container basically or I just pile up with you know um, recyclable I mean like these bags are recyclable but you know um, so yeah I want to alter this Mm -hmm. conversation a little bit and ask you something so are you familiar with um, Friends of the Parks Um, the organization uh, none other than um, their uh you know, George Lucas, uh, that's them, right? They were fighting George Lucas yeah. on his his uh, museum. On the placement the, of the museum. The placement of the museum. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think of that? What's your opinion on um, the placement of the museum? And, you know, if, if there's a... <clears throat> I mean, um, the use of public lands in that regard and all that kind of stuff. What, what do you stand on that? I, You know, I don't... I don't necessarily see the cultural value in George Lucas. I, I disagree, and, and I know a lot of people would disagree with that. Yeah, we, we um, almost ended this podcast, <laughs> but I think you're about to say you don't see the cultural usefulness of Star Wars. Yeah, but um, I mean, that isn't to say that is it isn't a value, and and uh, there's value in pop culture, and there's value I'm, in the... I'm We're signing off. <laughs> We're next, next time, Juanito will have a different partner, or... <laughs> But no, go ahead. But you know, um, but that isn't to say that it isn't a value, and it isn't, and I, I just don't understand the Chicago tie. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, to make it, um, a Chicago institution. Um, I mean, but at the same time, the Art Institute is filled with art from all over the world. Right, so, right. I mean, I that isn't to say that it isn't a value, but yeah. I think his wife is from Chicago and so he's decided in his retirement that they want to make Chicago their permanent home or something like that and I'm not um, really sure I you know I am a Star Wars fan um you know uh, <clears throat> but so didn't he it. didn't he sell all this stuff to Disney how much of it is going to actually make it to this museum I mean, I can he does he have rights to it I think he sold the IP 
the intellectual oh, property okay. to Disney. Um, but I think he still has like the memorabilia and stuff like that. But like, you know, um, the thing to me well, is... I, I'm just kind of afraid that, you know, I don't know if you've... The last time I was in L.A., I was visiting a friend of mine and we did this tour of art galleries. Mm-hmm. And it, all of these art galleries that we visited were basically, you know, some guy's art collection, some rich guy's art collection that they decided to turn into a museum and yeah. it I mean that to say it isn't a value but it just it was you know some guy's taste and yeah. I mean this it just you know I, no I agree with you <laughs> and so like I just don't think that the lakefront is the spot yeah, for it I agree with, I agree I do that. agree with um the Friendwood Park and what they're doing there you know I think I don't want to see it leave the Chicago area I want to see it leave the lakefront and go a little bit further south um, you know, yeah. we, we have the, uh, there was the, the failed Olympic bid that, um, yeah. uh, of, uh, uh, former Mayor Daly a few years back. And so they had identified multiple sites and I think like the, um, my, former Michael Reese hospital would be an ideal location. And then that will help transform the, you know, the area, the lakefront is already packed. I mean, it's, it's yeah. into North Lake Island and the, um, the museum campus, no matter what weekend you go, it's always jam packed. It's always a traffic nightmare to try and get over there. Or if you're commuting by Metro or the, um, or the red line or what have you, it's always, it's, it's not easy to get over there. So adding another attraction is just going to make it worse. Um, <clears throat> Then would people be in full costume? Exactly right. They go, you know, you're tripping over like folks dressed as Chewbacca and, um, and those Yoda robes. Yeah, you know, those Jedi, Jedi robes. It's going to make it worse. But then also, like, you know, you, you look at the opportunity for <laughs> uh, redevelopment, economic redevelopment. <coughs> and this is where an example of how, um, you know, environmental remediation or the environmental sustainability mm-hmm. can create more jobs. So if you look at the Michael Reese campus, there's a need for environmental remediation. So you go ahead and do that, and that'll create jobs. But then you're also introducing, you know, um, you're, 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 so you're conducting brownfields remediation and mm-hmm. redevelopment, but then you're also introducing new jobs into a different part of the city that actually needs a little, needs a little nudge in the right direction. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, that's just my uh, that's my that's my hot take on that. Yeah, I think you know that's an, that's another thing too is that so much of our cultural institutions that are traveled by tourists are all sort of concentrated there, and there are all these cultural institutions that mm-hmm. are all over the city, but don't get frequented by exactly. tourists and don't realize that we have these yeah. these real gems yeah, outside Mexican, of. Um, is it the Mexican uh, Mexican Arts Museum is here. Yeah. There's a, uh, the Duke Sable Museum is here. Mm-hmm. There's quite a few uh, museums that would be, you know, that, uh, that do need a little bit more love and attention um, and get overlooked because they're not right there on the yeah. hill. Even the Museum of Science and Industry, you know, because it's not right in that museum, yeah. on the museum campus, it's overlooked from time to time. Um, let me ask you another question. Let's mm-hmm. a slightly different topic again. Um, you Are you... Uh, signing up for Peterson and Carton again this year? No, no. Um, I'm gonna be moving, moving outside of the city at least temporarily. Oh, okay. okay. So, um, it's not gonna be convenient. But I'm actually gonna have a space to have a raised garden, uh, oh. where I'll be living, which will be really, really great. It looks like the timing will work just perfectly so that I can plant, um, oh. some of that stuff. Um, 
I look forward to those beets and carrots. Yeah. And um and last last year I had a theme of edible flowers. Um oh, so nice. uh so it was like chamomile and pansies and nasturtiums and um and it's it's great and God I learned so much about food and about you know understanding of you know how food gets to me in the growth cycle and whole new appreciation for agriculture being a city kid having been a real city kid and and you know wasn't used to even seeing tops on carrots yeah. you know it it was it was really really amazing it had a whole new appreciation for the flavor too and, and these heirloom heirloom varieties of of carrots and beets and tomatoes and you are you larry wilmore fan you, you watch uh, <laughs> the nightly show right did you see yeah. their um um they did a skit on um the food like, deserts food deserts awesome the, the search for heirloom tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> so um so do you, are you um, so will you be frequenting more farmers markets this year since you won't have as large of a plot you think or um yeah I probably I probably will and that's one thing that I have to say like I didn't do enough of last year yeah. and um, I think it'll be great you know and that's one thing that I've been actively making an effort to do as a native Chicagoan mm-hmm. is so I haven't I've made an effort the last year not to take expressways. Mm-hmm. Um, because I found myself just driving through neighborhoods yeah. and, you know, there are, it's a city of neighborhoods and yeah. there are so many amazing treasures and little local flavors and, yeah. and, um, places I get to see and end up eventually stopping at and, and discovering mm-hmm. if I'm not taking expressways and Lakeshore Drive and, yeah. and getting a better sense of my city's city and all the neighborhoods especially inspired by jamal cole and yes. and you know his his work the just my block my city my hood yeah. yeah i mean being on the north side and lincoln square i've been just as guilty of not of kind of just frequenting what's along the brown line right, right. you know um if i am not driving and you know it's it's an opportunity to see these cities and it's these parts of the city that I don't always get to see, and especially someone that grew up on the south side, yeah. um, I I don't make it to the south side or these neighborhoods as often as I'd like, and I, I have to say, like, I've been actively making an effort to do that, and looking at other, organiza- other organizations that are actively doing things like that, like, um, I know DNA Chicago um, had a really great piece a couple months ago on this guy that... Um, that put together tours on streets, walking oh, so tours. Walking tours, yes. And and that's been amazing. And I've I've uh, I know uh, a couple years ago I had a friend of mine visiting from Italy, mm-hmm. and I insisted that we go along Halston, the entire length of Halston. Oh. Um, and we drove though. Yeah. And we made a lot of stops, and and I'm like, you know, I'm like, what's a good city that or street that cuts across a bunch of neighborhoods? And I yeah. thought. I think Halstead would be was yeah. the one, and it was great because we he got a really great local flavor being, being Italian and you know n- not having that diversity yeah. that um, that we have in the city, and I think he really got a really great sense of Chicago from that, yeah. and 
um, and the big city it is, and, you know, because it's, it's so easy to get, we all kind of do that, kind of get stuck in our rut of, you know, our neighborhood, and our, what, the places we frequent, and the places we go to to work, and the places we go to for play, and, and there's just so many more areas to discover, and, um, I, I have a, I have a, a friend of mine keeps joking about doing a, a donut tour and a, like a pastry bakery tour, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to, uh, go through different neighborhoods in the city, just, um, stopping for pastries, you know, and we have so many, so many amazing places and just ethnic bakeries, ethnic restaurants and, um, you know, and it, it's, it's, it's a strength we have here in Chicago that, a lot of areas of the country don't have, yeah. um, you know, and you, you see the, the red state, blue state divide and you see that, you know, how much we, we, um, we see this, you know, people uh, that are, you know, suspicious of people of color, but yeah. they don't necessarily have experience with people of color. And, right. you know, I think it, um, you know, when you see these candidates and politics and these rallies and, you know, um, it's, I think it's, it's irresponsible not to, not to make an effort to get to know other fellow residents of Chicago. Agree, agree entirely. So I guess, uh, I guess with that, um, I think it's time to close episode two and, um, and, you know, reflect on diversity in our own way and how we can, actually develop a plan of action yes. to make diversity really happen in our own lives or have an impact. Exactly right. So yeah, thanks for uh, coming in and uh, talking with, talking, talking with, uh, reflecting on diversity <laughs> with me and uh, Juanita. And then um, also thank, thank, uh, thank you all for listening. And we'll be back uh, next week with another um, uh, Shades of Green podcast.